Hello, the Potter's Church, um, the Potter's the Potter's House Church. The po Hello, the Potter's House. Um, my name's Ethan Renault. Um, if you didn't see last week's message, um, I was with you last week. Uh, we we're going through Mark four one through twenty. Today, we're going to skip a couple verses and go through Mark five one through twenty. So we're basically just moving a chapter up. And um, I'm really excited. So I want to recap a little bit of last week's message so that you're on board, you're tracking with me where I'm going for this week's message. Last week, we talked about Jesus and the parable of the soils and the farmer scattering seed. And what's cool about that passage is we see the farmer who represents God. And what he's doing is he's walking around his land and just throwing seed wildly wherever it lands. He doesn't care. Some goes along the, the rocky path. Some goes along the thorns. Some go in places where the birds can come and eat it. And then some lands in good soil where it produces a crop and it multiplies. And we talked about how this, the mark of good plant, good soil, is that it can multiply. Um, it's not just enough to be a healthy plant for yourself. You have to multiply to reproduce in order to be a good plant, which is symbolic, obviously, for being a good Christian. If you're a good Christian, then you're not just hearing the word and becoming stronger yourself. You are actively multiplying, making other disciples, bringing other people into the kingdom with you. And I, I mentioned how um, this week, we're going to talk about how Jesus surprises us with who the next person is who Jesus calls into the kingdom. Jesus goes after the most unexpected person and says, this is the type of soil I'm looking for. Um, so we're going to look at the text in a little bit. Um, before we do that, I have a story and then we'll pray, get into the text, and then look at the text. So... Um, in the 1800s, when slavery was still a big thing in the United States, there was a slave named Robert Smalls. And Robert Smalls um, was a slave on a plantation, and his master was exceptionally cruel to him, whipping him, torturing him, um, all the terrible things that they would do to slaves back then. And Robert Smalls came up with a plan to escape. And he managed to escape. He commandeered a boat with some other slaves, sailed it up north to where slavery was not allowed, so he'd be a free man if he made it to the north. So he and these other slaves took the boat, made it to the north, and became free men. And Robert Smalls didn't just become a free man, he became a businessman who became incredibly wealthy, and then the Civil War happened, which ended slavery in the United States. So Robert Smalls went back to the original plantation where he was once a slave and decided to buy it because he had heard that the plantation owner, his former slave owner, had died. And he said, I want to own the land where I was once a slave. So Robert Smalls, now a wealthy businessman, a free man, not a slave, goes back to his original plantation, buys the land, settles into it, and a few... A few weeks or months after he's living in his plantation, he gets a knock on the door. And he opens the door, and he finds the wife of his former master. And she's now a widow. And she's, she says, Robert, 
I have nowhere else to go. Um, nobody else will take care of me. Could I stay with you? Could you give me some food? You know, whatever. And Robert Smalls doesn't just give her food, doesn't just let her stay with him for a couple nights. He invites her in and he takes care of her the rest of her life. She stays on the plantation. She's well fed and taken care of by the man who used to be one of her slaves. That's one of the most unexpected twists in all of history that I've ever heard. The, the, the person who used to torture him, whip him, his wife, he welcomed in. He forgave everything she had done in the past. He said, you know, that's all behind us. He took care of her. He didn't just say, oh, hey, I forgive you. He took care of her the rest of her life and looked after her. And to me, that's what grace is. That's what Jesus is all about, is these grand reversals, um, the unexpected, welcoming in the outcast, the person who you should not let in, the person you would not expect in the least. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at Jesus um, not only welcoming the unexpected person, but using him for his kingdom, saying to follow me and, and here's my message, take it and run with it. Um, he says, you're the good kind of soil I've been looking for. And we're going to look at who that is in just a minute. Uh, before we do, let's pray and then um, dive in. This will be fun. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've taken the dirtiest, most unexpected, most outcasted people like me, like all of us, and you've welcomed us into your kingdom to use us. Uh, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that we'd be reminded of your goodness and your grace, that we might learn something a little unexpected and um, see just how you work in our lives today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's look at the passage. So we're in Mark 5, 1 through 20. And um, so real quick, in the previous message... Jesus is kind of on, on the shores of the lake, speaking to all these farmers. And then in the verses that we skip, he gets in the boat, crosses the lake. And while he's crossing the lake is where that crazy storm happens and Jesus is asleep in the boat. Um, if you're not familiar with it, you can go read it for yourself. Uh, we're just going to skip that over. Um, so this is the next kind of teaching of Jesus, the next story, which is the next teaching of Jesus after that crazy storm in the middle of the lake. Um, so basically this is the next thing that happens aside from the storm. Um, so anyway, Mark five, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. 
The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord had done sorry, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which means the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So who is the good soil? Jesus answers that question in the very next story when he says, It's this guy. This guy who is demon-possessed, cutting himself, living in a graveyard, and chained up by the townspeople. In other words, the least expected person possible is the good soil Jesus was referring to in his last teaching. So let's look a little bit deeper at who this guy is. Um, He is an outcast. How many of you ever feel like you're an outcast, whether from other people or from God, like God doesn't want anything to do with you, so he's pushing you aside. That's exactly how this guy felt. That was his entire identity, was an outcast. The people of the town didn't want to deal with him, so they didn't just kick him out of their town, they chained him up outside of their town. Where did they chain him up? Excuse me. They chained him up in a graveyard. And if you're unfamiliar with the Jewish law, If you come into contact with a dead body, which includes walking over where they're buried, so if there's a dead body buried here and you walk over it, you are suddenly unclean. Now, uncleanliness was a huge deal to the Jewish people at this time. All the Old Testament law is about being clean or unclean. If you eat this certain type of food, and ironically, pigs were very unclean, Um, So if you eat pigs, if you eat certain types of fish or um, other types of animals, or if you cook it the wrong way, which is where you get the idea of kosher food or non-kosher food, um, you will become unclean. And then certain actions would make you unclean. Coming into contact with a dead body would make you unclean. And if you're unclean, you have to sit outside the camp for seven days. And so obviously nobody wants to sit outside of their like community for seven days. So you, they did everything they could to remain clean. This guy is living in a graveyard surrounded by dead bodies. He's living near a herd of pigs, which are unclean animals. Not only that, but he is always cutting himself with stones, which is another thing that will make you unclean. Um, Having an open sore or cut will make you unclean, which is one of the reasons that people with leprosy were always considered unclean because they always had open sores and cuts visible on their bodies. So 
Um, in other words, this guy is as unclean as you can possibly get. Um, on top of that, just the fact that he has demons living inside of him. The demon speaks to Jesus, and it says, Our name is Legion, for we are many. Now, that is a term that comes from the Roman military, because uh, in the Roman military, a legion of soldiers was about 6,000 soldiers. So the assumption here is that this guy had 6,000 demons in him. Some people might read this and say, uh, it's, it's like the demon trying to exaggerate. Um, maybe it's just a couple demons, but he's trying to like, you know, like puff himself up to look bigger than he really is. Um, either way, um, whether the demon's telling the truth or not, this guy is being tormented by a good amount of demons. And uh, obviously, a demon-possessed person is going to be unclean. Um, so when, um, normally, if you interact with an unclean person, or a dead person, or an unclean animal, what happens? You become unclean. The unclean person doesn't suddenly become clean because you interacted with them. It's far easier to taint and contaminate things, and it's far harder to take an unclean thing and make it clean. Now, what happens when this demon-possessed guy, unclean in every possible way, what happens when he interacts with Jesus? He becomes clean. Jesus has the power and the authority to say, uh-uh, you, <clears throat> no way, you get out of this guy, you're going to go into those pigs over there, and they're all going to run, run off the cliff. Normally, it's the unclean thing that contaminates the clean thing. In Jesus' case, it's the opposite. It's the clean, um, the power of God coming in and making everything else clean. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for uncleanliness. Jesus like, is the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. So when he moves into an area, when he moves into this man's life, he says, uh, there's not any room for this. You're going to have to go. Talking to the demons, not to the man. Um, he, he reaches out to this outcasted man, outcasted in every single possible way. And he says, I want you. I want you to come work for me. I want you to tell people what I've done for you. Um, and the, the, the man accepts it. Um, if, you, if you listened last week, you heard the story of when I encountered a demon-possessed man. The first thing he did when he was freed from his demons was he began shouting praises to God. And we see the same type of excitement in this guy. In this demon-possessed man, as soon as the demons are cast out of him into the pigs, he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I want you to go tell about me in the cities. So the man rushes out to the cities and begins, begins amazing people with the story of how he was freed. Because what's he doing, according to last week's parable? He's multiplying. The last person we'd ever expect, a demon-possessed man living by the pigs, living in the graveyard, cutting himself open, outcasted by everyone in his community, is exactly the one Jesus wants. He says, you follow me. You tell people about me and what I've done, because I see that you're the good soil. You're going to multiply. Does he say this to the Pharisees? To the religious leaders who followed every single one of the rules, never broke a law, 
They were living as purely as possible. Were they the good soil? No. It was the unexpected outcast, the dirtiest, most unclean person. And Jesus says, I want you. Do you ever feel like you're the demon-possessed guy? Like you're outcasted, cut off from people, chained up so that they can't hang out with you. God doesn't want you because you've broken all of his rules. You're unclean. Do you ever feel that way? Then you're exactly the type of person that Jesus wants. Because you're in a position to get cleaned and then to rejoice and tell other people exactly what Jesus has done for you. Now let's look for a second at how the other people in the city reacted to this event. Were they happy that this guy was suddenly free from his demons? Or were they sad because then they had to deal with him? They had to deal with the loss of their pigs and they had to kind of accept this guy back into their community again. It's kind of understandable if their livelihood was just drowned, right? They, they probably farmed pigs, ate pigs, sold them, and suddenly all their pigs are dead. So it's kind of understandable that, that, that they'd be upset about that. But at the same time, they don't seem to be excited at all that this man has been freed from thousands of demons. They held their pigs at a higher um, priority than this human whom God loved and says, hey, I see you. I want to free you. I want to reintegrate you back into society. They had their priorities off. One theologian said, clearly the drowning of their pigs concerns them less than the drowning of their demons. They were comfortable holding the guy at an arm's length, saying, yeah, you have your demons. You can stay out there, outside of the town, the community, the fellowship. As long as you're out there, you're fine. Right? Most people live by the maxim, please don't disturb me. This is me. This is you. Please don't disturb my comfort. Please don't disturb my religion. Please don't disturb everything that I like about my life and the way that it's set up right now because I like the way that it is now. Please don't disturb me. Why were the town people unhappy when Jesus came and did this and freed the demon-possessed man? Because Jesus disturbed their comfort. Jesus disturbed their religion. They thought they knew what was clean and what was unclean, who was in, who was out, and suddenly... The lines are a little blurred. This outcasted guy is being welcomed back into the city. Not only that, but this, this, this big teacher, Jesus, is saying, yeah, you're the one I want to go to deliver my message. And he becomes one of the first evangelists in Christian history, telling other people about Jesus. The townspeople were disturbed, and they had their priorities all kind of mixed up. They preferred their comfort to the deliverance of this demon-possessed man, this outcast man. Jesus disturbed all of them with this event. He drowned their animals and returned a man they didn't want to their village. The man, meanwhile, was overjoyed and went out proclaiming the gospel. He was the first seed. So in other words, which type of people 
is Jesus looking for? The ones who are holding on to their comfort or the ones willing to give everything up in order to multiply, to tell other people about Jesus and spread his message and advance the kingdom of God? Have you ever been like the townspeople? Have you ever shunned someone away from you, from your church, from your community, just because you didn't like them? Or because they made you uncomfortable or you felt like they didn't fit in. Like, ah, this person's kind of an outcast. They shouldn't be here. Let's push them away. These people had gone so far as to chain them up outside of their community. Um, Hopefully you haven't gone that far. But there's got to be people in your life that you don't like. A couple months ago, we had a roommate move into my house. I live with five other guys. And this one moved in. And for some reason, I just didn't like him. He didn't fit in with the rest of us. He said awkward things. He wasn't cool. And everything inside of me wanted to just push him away. And after a little while, I realized I can't be talking about love and forgiveness and Jesus drawing in the outcast if I can't even love this roommate. And I had to force myself to change my perspective, to to change my attitude toward this guy And this doesn't mean that I'm a really, really good Christian because I was able to do this. Because for many months, I hated him in my heart. And I wanted to just push him away. And I think it really took an act of the Holy Spirit to say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how we treat people. That's not how we interact with people that we don't get along with. Christians are the people who welcome in the weirdos, the outcasts, the ones that the world pushes away. Christians are the ones who see the good soil in people and say, this is somebody I want on my team. The world doesn't want them, but I want them. You probably feel like that outcast at other times. You're probably the one who's thinking, God would never use me. The church would never use me. My community doesn't even want me. And maybe that last one is true. Um, That means you just need a new community. But on the other hand, Jesus always surprises us. God always is reaching out toward the people who are the least expected. I can't emphasize enough how outcasted this guy was, how unclean he would have been to the rest of his community. And yet Jesus chooses him specifically to spread his message. Or maybe you feel like the demon-possessed man because there are some things that you just can't seem to break free of. Maybe it's an addiction of some kind or some kind of sin that you keep falling back into. Cry out to Jesus. He wants to set you free from everything that you feel like is holding you back. The things that you keep falling back into. The things you can't seem to break free from. Jesus wants to set you free from everything. From your sin. From the the plans and the strategies of demons, the demonic world, which is very real. Um, Jesus wants you. Cry out to him. Be set free by him. And he will come through and deliver you. Jesus, I thank you for this church that even from across the globe, we get to interact and we get to open up your word together. I pray that this message would not fall on deaf ears, but that all of us who have ears would hear that we would um, reach out to the outcast among us, that we would, even when we feel like outcasts, God, that we'd remember that that's exactly who you called to be on your team. Uh, you want the outcasts 
working with you. Um, you don't send them away like the other townspeople did. We thank you that you um, are at work in all of our lives and that each of us can be the good soil that we can multiply, that we can be used by you no matter how dirty and unclean we feel. Uh, we love you, Jesus. We thank you that you've called us, that you've reached out to us, that you've moved toward us when we move away from you. Uh, Jesus, uh, we love you, and we thank you for the worldwide church that we're a part of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Uh, much love from Colorado. Bye.